Hi, and welcome to the Northridge Vineyard Evening Community Podcast. We're a church community in Sydney, Australia, who are passionate about pursuing God together and seeing the world changed by His love. We hope this message challenges and inspires you. For more talks and other resources, please visit our website, www.northridge.org.au. All right. Um, don't these guys do a great job? Hey, I, can I just say, um, Chris and Jen, I get to say some of this stuff because I'm not part of this norm, normally this, this evening community. So um, I just want to encourage you to get behind Chris and Jen as your pastors. Can I say that? That they are amazing people, um, and uh, they're gonna, they're, as you know, they've got a little bub on the light, on the way, and they're gonna lead all your love and encouragement. Um, but there's also a, a kingdom principle there, and that is whatever you want in this community, you have to sow into your leaders. So if you want to grow in love, you have to love your leaders. If you want to grow in um, finances, you need to sow and invest in your leaders. Uh, and if in, in whatever way, uh, and that's often the hardest people <laughs> for us to invest in as our leaders, because sometimes they tell us to do things we don't want to do, um, or lead us in ways that we don't want to you know, go. Um, and that's, that's something that we practice um, as well as teach. But I just want to honor you guys. You, you're amazing. So well done. Um, okay, are you ready to get into the Bible? Yeah? yeah? I don't have long, so I'm going to move quickly. Um, we, where's my little clicker thingy? Um, I wanted to just do a very quick recap on the series that you've been doing because it is amazing. Do you mind launching those slides for me? Thank you. So this is a very quick overview of what you guys have been looking at, this uh, series on the image of God. Because um, tonight we are finishing it off, and it kind of doesn't make sense uh, unless you have uh, seen some of what's come. So very quickly, uh, at the beginning of the series, we heard about Adam and Eve. We heard about creation and how God made Adam and Eve as the pinnacle of his creation. They were designed to uh, bear his image, to reflect his glory, and all of kind of all of humanity were included in that. So we, we got that kind of purpose um, as well as they did. Uh, and, uh, and then, as you probably will know the story, they, Adam and Eve, they rejected God's love and they rebelled against God's will. And the image of God, this image day, the image of God in them was broken. Okay, it was marred, and and as a result, they were separated from God's eternal life. And so were we because we were in, included in them. All right, and. Uh, but then, hey, Jesus came, thank God, Jesus came to change things. And I and, um, can't remember how many weeks ago now, but Mandy spoke about how Jesus brought us out of death and into life, and we were given a new identity. Uh, and then Chris spoke the week after about how we have, now we have to take off that old identity, that old self, and we actually have to wear this new jacket, this new identity, this new self or clothing. And, uh, and then Matt shared the week after about how, uh, how we do that a bit more and how even sinful habits and addictions can actually be taken off and how God can even do that so that we're not just talking about this, you know, 
nice idea of a new identity, we're actually living that out, we're actually working that out, uh, where, where really where the rubber hits the road. And then last week, Phil talked about how Jesus invites us into a daily walk of friendship with Jesus. And, um, and today, I, I, the message, I don't normally give it a title, but I, I wanted to give it a quick title. It was called, Looking for Identity, Living from Identity. Okay? Because today, when I look around the world, I see that our culture, our world, is desperately looking for something that we already have. It's desperately looking for something that we already have. Let me take you right back to that story of Eve in the garden. Because when Eve was tempted in Genesis 3 by the devil... She believed Satan when he told her that God was holding out on her, that God was holding out on Adam and Eve, that if they disobeyed God, if they ate that fruit, then they could be like God. And at the root of that temptation was this lie, God's holding out on you. There's something you don't have. There's something even better that he hasn't given you. And you could be like God. And she looked... And she believed. She, she believed that lie. So the language in Genesis 3 is she looked and she saw that it was good to eat and it was pleasing to the eye and all that kind of stuff. But kind of under the subtext of that is she looked and she believed the lie. I heard this great line from Nicky Gumbel a couple of days ago. He said in my morning reading, he said, before you swallow the fruit, you always swallow the lie. You have to swallow the lie before you sin, before you swallow the fruit. And, and that's what she did. And when they ate, when Adam and Eve ate, they, all they knew instead was their shame, was their nakedness. That's what it says. They, they knew they were naked. Because, in fact, they had been tricked. Because they were already like God. They were already like him. They already had relationship. They already had everything they needed from him. There was nothing that he was holding out on them. And our world is believing the same lie and desperately searching for an identity that God is already giving us in Jesus and says, come and receive it. God's heart is that we start living from an identity that he has look at this already given us. And that's, um, that's my encouragement to you tonight as we look at this passage. So can I get, get you to open up your phone or a Bible? If you don't have one, feel free to jump up and go and grab a Bible from over there. Um, we're going to read from 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14. We're going to jump in at verse, uh, verse 14 right through to 21. So I'm just going to read that briefly. And then what I'd like you to do is just kind of have it open in front of you because we're going to go through just this, a little bit of the structure. Um, so from verse 14, 2 Corinthians 5, it says, For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. 
Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. And we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, there is so much in this passage and I'm not going to try and speak on all of it. But I think there's some things in this that are very interesting. I want to I wanna particularly focus on verses 16 uh, through to 20. Okay, I'm particularly looking at 16 through to 20. Because I want to just draw out how this passage speaks at, at three different levels, as it were. So the first thing it does is it speaks into our identity in Christ, okay? So verse 16 to 17, you can see that, hopefully you can see that. Yeah, good, not too small. Um, you can see those verses, and what those verses are talking about is who we are in Christ. Okay, that's not a huge surprise because that's our series. That's what it's speaking about. He says, um, Paul basically is saying we, when he says we regard no one from a worldly point of view any longer. He's talking about himself, but also the Corinthians. So he's including them in that statement. And he's saying, we used to see the world and Jesus without eyes of faith. We used to just look at it, and whatever we could see, that's what it was. So whatever it was on the outside, if you like. But now we've got eyes of faith. We used to understand and hear the gospel and we, it was just almost nonsense to us. But now we get it. We see who Jesus is. Um, there was a mystery hidden, but that old way of thinking, that's gone. This old understanding literally has passed away, is what he says. So that, that's a kind of, that, that sort of phrasing, the old has gone. It's not just gone, it's passed away. It's dead, it's buried, it's done. So, not only in their thinking, but in their understanding of identity, the way they see the world and the way they see themselves and the way they see Jesus, that's changed completely. He says to them, you are a new creation. So literally, you are recreated. You're not upgraded. You're not restored. You know, when God made the world, he didn't go, oh, it's a bit of a mess. Let's just try and rearrange that. He started with nothing. That's the definition of creation. Otherwise, it wouldn't be creation. He started with nothing, and he made more than something, but he made something out of nothing. This is the language that Paul uses really intentionally. He says, you, were a new, you are a new creation. Not rehashed, not reused, not reconstructed. Brand new. And you might go, oh, that's great. Okay, sure. 
But some of us, deep down, we think that becoming a Christian really, or perhaps this has been your experience, is, is really just uh, has put, put expectations on us to live better and just to do better in life, pretty much with what we've been given in life so far. So with no new resources, you're just expected to do more. I used to work in IT projects, and uh, there's a famous cartoon strip called Dilbert, if some of you know him. Um, and, and, and often the language in IT projects is about, you don't have any more money, you don't have any more time, but you've got to somehow do more. And that sometimes can feel like our Christian life is you, you've just got to live a better standard now you've become a Christian, but actually there's nothing new going on here. And Paul's saying, that's a lie. That's not true. The truth is that you have died. That that you that you were before Jesus came along is dead. And God has created a new you. So stop worrying about the expectations of, of trying to improve this old you. And live up to those expectations. And get instead look at the new creation. I want to just stop there and allow the Holy Spirit just to minister to us in that. Um, we're going to just do a bit of ministry time. Is that okay? You ready for a break? Um, because I, I think that there is something there that is about bringing our disappointment and going, this Christian life didn't quite... Mm, it just kind of feels like a lot of hard work. And, and like I've been trying to use this old thing to get new results. And that's not God's heart. His heart is that you take on that new creation and your focus is on that. Not trying to manage sin all the time. So... Um, Let's just take a moment just to wait for the Spirit. But I'm just going to ask that the Holy Spirit just comes and ministers to us in that. And if you, can I invite you, if you, as we do this, if you sense the Spirit just touching you, or you know that you just need more of that, just stand up. We're not going to, we're just going to keep our eyes closed and allow the Spirit just to minister to us. But just stand up. And in a way, it's saying, yes, Lord, I want more of that. So Holy Spirit, we ask you, come now. And bring your kingdom, bring the truth of your word, and just sweep over this place now. Let your freedom come. It's got this image of the Spirit. He's almost picking up the, the, the words of the Bible, and he's blowing them off, blowing them into, across us. And it's like the letters of the word just blow across us. Let it penetrate your heart. Dividing bone and marrow. Thank you, Lord. We submit ourselves to you tonight, Holy Spirit. If you know that's you tonight, that it's just this, ah, oh, there's, can it really be something brand new in there? I just pray that the Lord would reveal the new creation that he has made you. And that that would be a, a 
a, a key moment of freedom in your Christian walk. So just receive that. old has gone, the new is here. Thank you, Lord. If you're getting some prayer, feel free just to, we just want to stay in that place for a bit, do that, but I'm going to keep moving on. So the passage that we're looking at tonight, it speaks to our identity, but it also speaks to who we belong to. It speaks into our relationship with our Father, because we're told that God reconciled us to himself. God sent Jesus to die for that reason, that he would begin by restoring and reconciling relationship with us. That we could have a relationship with God. Now, how often do you hear that? Christianity is about relationship with, with God. I hope you hear that all the time. All right? If you don't hear it enough. But can I say on the, on the flip side, sometimes that grows cold on us. We're a bit like, yeah, 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 yeah. But do we realize that this is what we have? Do we realize that this is what God has done? He has fundamentally answered that question. You are mine now. Who do I belong to? Where do I belong? You are mine. I am your father. And he did it on, through Christ dying on that cross. That he wouldn't count people's sins against him. That he, through forgiveness... He would take the enmity, the Bible calls it, the, the, the conflict, the, the thing that stopped us from getting close to God, and he would deal with that on that cross and allow us back into relationship, allow us back into intimacy, into relationship with the Father. And ultimately, for those of us who are asking the question, whom am I? Whose am I? He says, I'm going to answer that question. And then the third part of that, verse 20 through to 21, is talking about what our purpose is. Now, um, uh, let me just take a quick diversion here. In our house, we watched the rugby last night. And if you know anything about our house, um, you will know that my wife is a keen South African rugby supporter. Uh, sorry? Your. Oh, okay. Thank you. Sorry. Moving on. Um, she is a keen South African rugby supporter, so uh, there was a fair bit of tension. I am an Aussie through and through, but I was just inspired by the way that England was playing rugby last time they played New Zealand. So I was kind of like rooting for them, I've got to be honest with you. And, and I watched as they just fell apart. Um, but it did remind me as I watched um, the black South African rugby player captain holding up that, uh, the World Cup, I just thought, wow, my goodness, how far that country has come. Some of you will know um, about Nelson Mandela, who became the first black president of South Africa after 50 years 
of a repressive and evil system of racial segregation called apartheid. And um, he was a remarkable man. I would strongly encourage you reading about his life. Desmond Tutu, who's the Archbishop of South Africa, said this about him. I have no doubt at all that he, Nelson Mandela, is going to be remembered as an icon of reconciliation and forgiveness. A person of considerable magnanimity who was able to preside over a process of transformation, avoiding the bloodbath everyone expected was going to happen. I think that's a pretty cool thing to be said about you after you pass away. He was a man who was an icon of reconciliation. Now, Paul saw his purpose clearly. He was about reconciliation. He was about persuading people to be reconciled with God. This is the message version of that, of that verse 20 through 21. Uh, in the message it says, this is Paul speaking, God has given us the task of telling everyone what he is doing. We are Christ's representatives. God uses us to persuade men and women to drop their differences and enter into God's work of making things right between them. And he's very clear, if you were to go on and read the next chapter, that the Corinthians were to do that with him. That wasn't just his purpose. He's saying this is the call of the Christian. This is the, the, the identity, uh, sorry, this is the purpose and the calling that Jesus draws us into. Now, there is a, there's a period of your life where everyone wants to know, what are you going to do? What are you going to do when you grow up? They're still asking me that. What are you going to do, right, when you get to that place where you have to decide, as if, as if you only get to decide this once, what you're going to do with your life? But God actually has a destiny and a purpose He gives us when He recreates us. And that whatever we do, whether it's teaching or IT or whether it's uh, in sales or even as a pastor, even in Christian ministry, as like a missionary or something like that, over all of that, we are called to join God in reconciling all things to Him, to be those image bearers that He made us to be in the garden. So we have this relationship with the Father, identity in Christ, and purpose as the image bearers of God. Now, there is, there is a flow to this that I want you to see, because actually, these build on each other. You see, that identity in Christ, it builds on our relationship with the Father. I know who I am when I know whose I am. This is why loving, secure, selfless parenting is so important to raising a generation of men and women who, who enter maturity knowing who they are. It's more important if you are a parent, or you one day will be, it's more important that your children understand that they are yours, that you love them, and that they belong in a family 
than a promotion, than a status in your work, than a great social life, than all of those things. Because what you're doing and what our parents do in us is that they build that foundation of understanding whose we are. So that when we grow into maturity, we know who we are. Now, our parents answer that question for us only in one dimension. Ultimately, we need to hear the Father answer that question for us. Because I'm not sure if this is coming through, but we all carry questions about each of these things. Who do I belong to? Who am I? What am I made for? And if you don't know that you're asking that question, I'm like, wake up! Because we are. And if you're not aware that you're asking that question, you're going to start asking it without even... You're going to ask the wrong people. (laughs) Answer this question for me. And God wants to answer that question. Those answers can be found in Him. The 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 other dynamic is that our purpose, our destiny, our calling comes from knowing who we are. It comes from our identity. Um, Let me show you this. This is fun. The fastest growing segment of entrepreneurs in Australia are over 55. So now that lady's way over 55. But (laughs) she's actually um, Ruth Flowers, age 70, the late British grandmother, embarking on a successful career as a DJ. I like that. I thought that was so cool. People are discovering what they're made for later and later in life these days. All right? But to truly understand what we're made for, let me go back. To truly understand what we're made for, we have to understand who we were made to be. Purpose comes from knowing who you are. It doesn't answer the question. You can't answer the question of identity from what you do. What you do flows from who you are. Um, This thing. There you go. I get to show it off now. Um, I did a triathlon last weekend for the very first time. Thank you. Suitably impressed. Well done. Um, This is not about that. Uh, And and it was very difficult, um, but I was very proud to have finished it in one piece. Um, And as I looked at this medal, it brought back some very... Uh, awkward memories of standing in front of my school, age seven, with a medal, a bit like this. I had been on a a skiing holiday, I'd come back, and I got one of these medals, which was a little bit like, well done for completing it. Um, And I just don't think I thought that was impressive enough. So, confession time, I went to my brother's room, I picked up the athletics cup that was on his mantelpiece, which clearly said athletics, and I brought it to school and said, I won this for skiing in front of the whole school. My my teachers were really impressed. They were, wow, this guy, age seven, he must be a gifted skier. And um, until my friend busted me, he told my mum, who said, what? And dragged me into the principal's office and made me confess the truth to the principal. So for some of you parents, that's like harsh. Well, it didn't really work. I didn't, I, it took a while before I stopped lying about things. But that's another issue, another story. One of the, 
you know, we have such a need to know our identity, to have that affirmed in us, that we will literally do anything. We will literally do anything to discover who we are. It's such a strong question that we have in us. If someone is drowning, the need to survive is so strong, they will drag that person down if you go and try and save them. It's such a strong need. And just like with Eve, sin tries to deceive us. And it says we're fundamentally lacking. It says that we have to strive to prove and to achieve so that you know you're accepted in front of other people. So they accept who you are. And that can look like a lot of things, but a lot of the time, if you're in church, you're trying to live out that Christian walk, and you're thinking, if I can just do a good job at this Christian thing, then I must, this must be who I am. I must fit. And God will love me because I'm good at this. We don't say that, but we kind of believe it sometimes. But then I fail at this Christian thing, right? I, I struggle. I get caught in the habitual sin, or I just lose my temper in in an embarrassing way, and I'm clearly not made for this. This is not who I am. I don't really believe that God will accept me because this is, you know, I've just shown my true colors, as the saying goes. But this kingdom of God, it's upside down to that. God flips that on its head, says that's not true. You don't live work, and then die, you die so you can live and work with God. In his kingdom, he invites us to live out our purpose and calling from that place of being grounded firmly in the identity in Jesus. 